0: This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association.
1: Welcome to The Every Lawyer, a Canadian Bar Association podcast. I'm your host, Marlies Silver-Sweeney. Today's episode focuses on two lawyers working abroad as part of the Young Lawyers International Program, funded by Global Affairs Canada. It's an internship initiative in 10 different countries. Today, we're headed to Vietnam and Guyana, at least vicariously. Our first stop is in Georgetown, where we're meeting up with Devin Black. Devin is working for the Society Against Sexual Orientation Discrimination. Guyana is the last country in South America where homosexual activity is still illegal. Hi, Devin. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. So, I wanted to start at the beginning with you and find out a bit more about your decision to apply uh, to this program, and then specifically about why you wanted to work for the Society Against Sexual Orientation Discrimination in Georgetown. Sure.
2: Uh, so, my background is actually in international development. Uh, that's what I did my undergraduate degree in. Um, and I decided to go to law school after I finished that program, in part because Uh, I was having some questions about the ethics of international development work, whether it was possible to do international development work ethically, um, and whether I had the skills to do it ethically. So I went to law school, um, kind of maintained uh, one foot in the nonprofit world while I was there doing some time with the Vic Law Clinic and doing a co-op term with a nonprofit, Mm. and then ultimately did my articles and practiced for a few years with a small law firm in Victoria doing general litigation work. Okay. and after a few years, I just kind of decided that I wanted to go back to um, my original passion and, and see if uh, there was a way for me to get back into more nonprofit oriented work. Um, and the Young Lawyers International program just kind of came onto my radar at the right time.
1: Okay, great. So it was a chance for you to reconnect uh, to some of the things that actually drove you to go into law school in the first place.
2: Yeah, exactly. Okay. And the Society Against Sexual Orientation Discrimination has a great mission that's really aligned with um, things that I'm interested in um, and with my own experience as as a queer person in law.
1: Okay. And that was actually, it's a great natural transition, so thank you, into my next question. And that's, what type of work are you doing right now for the Society Against Sexual Orientation Discrimination?
2: So my work is pretty varied. Uh, I do some client facing work. The uh, organization has a program called the Community Paralegal Support Initiative, which provides paralegal support to anyone who comes in dealing with an issue of discrimination. And so that's not just for people in the LGBTQ community. That's people dealing with racism or class discrimination. Um, and we're able to connect them with pro bono lawyers, help them with case management, um, in some cases provide informal advocacy. So write letters on their behalf or, um, do some informal negotiation, um, or connect them up with social services. So I do okay. some direct client work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in addition to that, SASOD does, um, some strategic litigation work as well. Um, They're responsible for a really big decision um, at the end of 2018, where they managed to get a law criminalizing cross-dressing struck down um, at the Caribbean Court of Justice, which is the highest court of appeal for Guyana.
1: Wow. Well, it really sounds like you're actually using both of your backgrounds in this role.
2: Yeah, it's kind of exciting to be able to bring both of those together
1: hmm that's, that's really neat. Um, broad question, but I wanted to know a bit about what you've learned so far doing this work. Oh, that is a big question.
2: Um, I mean, I, I have had some international placements before, so okay. a lot of the, um, the kind of experience of living in a new place is, is not quite as novel for me. Okay. But one of the lessons that I've definitely had affirmed is the importance of... Uh, being flexible and also keeping an open mind mm-hmm. um, which both seem very obvious and I know they sound a little <laughs> bit cliched but I yeah, think no. that un- until you're kind of living that experience and even when I have lived it before, uh, there's always just so many new things that are happening that are going to you know, throw me off my game or um, have me change my, my original perceptions and, uh, being able to kind of go with the flow and make sure that I'm doing my best to really listen to what people are telling me, um, and hear what they're trying to communicate, Mm
1: -hmm. whether it's,
2: you know, said openly
1: or implied, uh, is always hugely important. Okay. So those active listening skills, um, what about hard skills, so any type of legal knowledge or legal skills or advocacy work that you didn't necessarily get to practice before uh, in Victoria or in law school in your other placements? <sighs>
2: Yeah, the strategic litigation work that I've been getting to do here has been really exciting. Um, Mm -hmm. We've got a case that we're planning to file at the end of March, um, and I won't go into too many details about the subject matter of it, but I've been lucky to work with um, some students at uh, Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., who have been helping us with um, some research and drafting. Okay. Um, And I've been able to give them... um, some assistance in terms of doing international legal research because um, mm-hmm. I had some, some resources on hand and some experience doing that that I was able to help them with. Um, but also kind of being able to provide some mentorship and um, some oversight because right. in a lot of cases they hadn't really done this kind of legal drafting before and they hadn't really worked on human rights stuff before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked on human rights stuff in a BC context, but working on it in a totally new national context was um, very illuminating and challenging. So we were definitely learning together uh, through some of that process.
1: Right. So it sounds like you've gotten to practice your mentorship as well. Yeah, which has been really nice. Yeah, that is nice. Um, I wanted to turn a little more personal now, and I wanted to ask you a little bit more, you know or a self-identified queer person. You mentioned it earlier. What is it like to live in a country where your sexuality is criminalized? I want to know a bit about what you've done to keep yourself safe and how you prepared for this emotionally and practically.
2: Yeah. um, So the laws that criminalize homosexual activity in Guyana are very specifically worded. Okay. And as a person who identifies as a queer woman, I'm actually not targeted particularly by the laws that are in place, because okay. what they outlaw is buggery. Um, so specifically anal sex, regardless oh. of the gender of the people involved. And then also uh, any same sex intimacy between men is what's criminalized. Mm. So um, I'm not in a position where I would be breaking any laws um, and I wouldn't be anyway because my partner is is back in Canada. Okay. Um, But uh, despite that, there's still a lot of um, stigma and discrimination against Mm -hmm. um, LGBTQ people regardless of gender. Mm -hmm. I've been lucky enough to be fairly insulated from that, Um, in part because um, as a a visible foreigner, um, I I don't get the same types of comments, I think, as some other people do. People tend to focus more on the color of my skin than... Mm -hmm. um, The things that would normally be signifiers of queerness for me. Okay. Um, But I've also been lucky enough to find a really good group of um, friends here, um, some of whom are expats, some of whom are are locals, um, who have been really welcoming. um, And I've been lucky enough to never really feel unsafe while I've been out and about as a result Mm. of my queerness.
1: Okay. So just finding kind of a safety network of people and friends um to support you.
2: Yeah, and a lot of that happens through work, luckily right. enough. Um Sassad runs social events once a month for the local LGBTQ community. Um and my coworkers are obviously very accepting and supportive of hmm. me being able to be myself at work, which makes a huge difference.
1: Right. Okay. So your community is really a benefit there. Definitely. Okay. Have you had any, so we've talked about a lot of the skills you've gained and, you know, being able to mentor students and working within your two backgrounds. It sounds like a lot of positives. Have Have there been any lows?
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, anytime um, you kind of take a, a big leap like this into a, a an unknown, um, there's going to be some difficult points and in doing some of the direct client work, uh, Mm -hmm. that I've been able to do, um, just because of a lack of resources. Um, and in some cases, a lack of, of legislation that's really set up to support people. Mm -hmm. Um, I've run into more cases than I'm used to running into where I just don't have good solutions available for the people that I'm looking to help. Um, and so, You know, we we do as much as we can and provide all the supports that we're able to, but... In some cases, there just aren't referrals available for the types of problems that people are showing up with, Mm -hmm. um, or the laws aren't in place to provide protection. Um, A perfect example of that is the um, Prevention of Discrimination Act in Guyana, um, which has been in place here since, I think, 1997, Mm -hmm. is limited to dealing with discrimination just in the context of employment, and the protected grounds for discrimination don't include uh, anything in the way of, um, gender identity or sexual orientation, um, or gender expression for that matter. And so if you've got people who are dealing with employment discrimination, um, there aren't a lot of great legal avenues for remedies right now in Guyana, which is really frustrating to deal with because people recognize that they're being treated unfairly as a result Mm -hmm. of their identities. um, and the law just hasn't caught up yet to protecting them.
1: Right. That does sound really frustrating to, to not be able to pe- offer people better remedy there. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. What I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know we're working on time differences here and I want to let you go on for your day. But what advice would you have for somebody who was looking into um, applying and having the same experience?
2: I, I think my advice would be to go for it. Um, okay. If <laughs> um, if this is something that uh, you're interested in, if this is an opportunity that you want to get, uh, the Wilet program through the CBA is uh, a really incredible opportunity to develop some skills, get out of your comfort zone, um, and do the kind of legal work that you might not otherwise have the opportunity to do. Um, I know that finding public interest, legal experience straight out of law school, or even in my case with a few years into practice can be really challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the amazing things about YLIP is that it's an opportunity to to really build those skills in a really practical way um, and in environments that are challenging, but where you also have the support of the CBA and your peers going through the program to rely on. Um, So you're not just going out there on your own. You do have a network of support um, for when things get challenging, which is really great to be able to fall back on.
1: For sure. And I did indicate that was my last question. and Now I have another one for you. So I'm sorry. Um, But I want to know if this has changed the course of your career at all, this experience.
2: Yeah, I think it has. Uh, I mean, I went into law school with an interest in doing more public service oriented work Mm -hmm. um, or public interest oriented work. And, um, like I think a lot of people do when they go into law school, um, I ended up finding articles and work doing private law and Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to build a lot of great skills and work with a lot of amazing people. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, I think I needed, um, an opportunity like this one to remember the things that I loved about public interest work, um, and the ways that I was passionate about them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm hoping that that's going to be an area that I can refocus my career on. Because um, as much as I love the work that I was doing before, and really appreciated all of the opportunities that I had to learn in that previous position, um, public interest work is something that I'm really passionate about.
1: Nice. So it was a way to kind of remember some of the interests that you had before law school and articling.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think in law school, people can get, I mean, we all get really focused on um, private sector work because those are the jobs that are the most visible and the most available. Mm. Um, But doing something like this uh, helped me remember that the skills that I've built are not just good for private law work. There's a lot of other opportunities out there.
1: Right. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a lovely note to end it on. So thank you so much, Devin, for your time today. Thank you. Our next guest today is Navdeep Carr, who is in Hanoi, Vietnam. She's working with UNICEF in the social policy and governance section. Her work there focuses on advocacy, awareness, and policy development. Navdeep, we're keeping you up late. So thank you so much for being with us here today.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: I understand you're already internationally trained. You're licensed to practice in both Canada and India. Can you tell me a bit more about your decision to take on yet another international opportunity?
0: Yeah, so um, I did move to Canada only just in April of 2018 and I've practiced uh, earlier in India. I was licensed in India and I've worked there as a lawyer since September 2016 to about March 2018. I have the timeline really clear (laughs) in my mind because I I, I end up uh, sharing it with everyone so much. So yeah, so um, as far as this opportunity is concerned, I was always intrigued um, with international law and I feel that um, although I had moved to Canada, but I hadn't really had enough opportunities um, back home in India. So when this came along, it was sort of um, right after my articles were over and I had just been called to the bar in Canada. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it was sort of the opportune moment for me to explore uh, something other than just a hardcore legal field. And this was uh, the, the opportunity that I'm doing was more into governance and policy in an area that I would perhaps like to explore. Okay. So yes, all the combinations and all the factors sort of led me to deciding that, yes, I, I should I should take this up.
1: Okay. And why Vietnam?
0: So when I chose, um, when we had the options to choose, to select what placement we were going to go for, it was interesting to be, I'd I'd never been to the site except for a little bit of travel, but I had never really spent any amount of time um, in Southeast Asia. And this was maybe another way of, for me to just sort of feel closer to home again, closer to India again, I okay. guess. So it was, that, was on, that was definitely at the back of my mind and was a contributing factor to say that, hey, m- although I've just been away from home for a year and a half or so, well, maybe I can, it'll be easier to travel again. So just just maybe one of the motivating factors.
1: Okay. And you, you briefly mentioned it just now, but you talked about how you're interested in more policy and governance work. Could you tell me what kind of work you're doing right now for UNICEF?
0: Yeah, so uh, I'm working with the social policy and governance section of UNICEF Vietnam. And this section coordinates between uh, different sections like education, child protection, child survival and development, Mm -hmm. and does its own governance and policy work as well. It sort of um, works in tandem with the government and stakeholders and representatives and Vietnamese uh, policy and law and governance for uh, child rights. Wow. And uh, it sort of um, spans all across the different legislations and the law that comes up and different governance uh, decisions of the government. So it, uh, it legally, it sort of correlates with the practices of the government and how they are dealing with, the, how they are aligning the national laws with international laws from UNICEF's perspective.
1: Wow, that sounds fascinating. And can you? I don't know what you can share, what you cannot, but can you give me an example or two? Some of the things that you're actually working on there?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, um, it does. You're right. It does happen that a lot of uh, UNICEF work it's in the stage of uh, decision making, etc. So a lot of it cannot be uh, disclosed in in a regular sense. Right. But for instance, we are working um, uh, on Vietnam, the child of the you know the age of the child in uh, Vietnam is uh, not as per the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Uh, okay. Child is defined under the age of 16. And uh, for, for instance, UNICEF is advocating for that age to be increased to 18 as per the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Mm. So uh, there's only very few countries um, in the world uh, now who have uh, the age of the child, not as per the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Okay. And particularly those countries who have um, signed and ratified the conventions and the national laws still do not align. So those are the kind of that's an example of of, um, a chunk of work that um, UNICEF is advocating to do besides other uh, areas, of course.
1: Wow. Very important. Um, What have you and this is a hard question because it's so broad, but what do you think you've learned so far
0: yeah yeah it is uh, fairly broad and i guess um in line with the name of the section the social policy and governance it's so wide spanning mm-hmm. i think um the learning so far i mean uh, the learnings so far i would say that you know it's the un does not sue directly and cannot be sued so it's not really a very um, legal centric or a, a a position that directly aligns with with uh, my background so far in terms of right. uh, law But it has been, um, it's been a learning experience in terms of analyzing, critically analyzing the legal documents, particularly of a different country, Mm -hmm. and understanding the implications uh, in a country context. Because uh, a lot of times, uh, for instance, let's say when I was in India, or uh, even while I was in Canada, but I felt I had had some background on what the country context was all about. So you wouldn't delve into that. But here... It's about delving into the country context and correlating it with the implications that the law has on, um, in a very, from a very societal and social context. So, and uh, critically analyzing the laws here, and also, of course, um, there's a lot of DNSF work involves a lot of review of reports and different writing styles, and um, there definitely has been a learning curve as well. Okay. But There's been a. Um, learning in terms of law reform and how to advocate for law reforms. And advocacy has is something that I haven't really um, delved into in the past. So a lot of communication campaigns and a lot of advocacy projects um, and uh, interactions with the government stakeholders. So yes, learnings have been um, from that perspective.
1: Wow. I was going to ask you just, you know, hearing about that and having to analyze all these legal documents from the perspective of the country of Vietnam how did you prepare for that
0: so um now that i think of it i could have prepared a lot more than was, <laughs> <laughs> than what i um came came in with right. but um yes of course reading a little bit about the country and um, you know just uh, learning a few basics about reading a few basics about um, the kind of uh, political system and the governance system and his historically, because Vietnam has, um, you know, a war torn history as well. Mm-hmm. So th- that has far reaching implications because it affected the communities, um, both in North and the South. So uh, yes, before coming, I did read up, but I would say that the best learning that you have is is actually when you reach. Right. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, from, from outside, of course, we can read a lot and we can see a lot, but I ended up reading a, on a lot more uh, after my interactions here and um, some of the resources that I got, uh, because uh, particularly for UNICEF and for the UN, they have a lot of uh, policy and background documents, mm. which uh, which you definitely cannot have access to before coming for the placement. Right. Okay. But when you get in, you you have a lot of reading material which you can review, and that explains a lot of the country context. I would say, uh, mm-hmm. personally, um, is, I had some I had some uh, information on the background and the history of the country, but uh, having come in here, it's it's actually it's good to have a lot of background documents which they already prepare for the country office, which you can review and um, and learn from. Okay.
1: Well, it sounds like law school again. I hope your vision is okay.
0: <laughs> yes, it has it, been it has been a lot of documents, a lot of mm-hmm. reading, and it actually I you're never really done because uh, in fact I feel that six months is anyway not as much of a time to really know everything. Yeah. Oh, it's but, so cool. Uh, yes, it flies by. But you, um, but luckily, I mean, I I would say luckily because. Uh, UN has so many resources and so many different agencies working um, intersectorally that you you get a chance. You get exposed to a lot more material um, than you would before you come.
1: Okay. And you spoke um, about your advocacy skills and getting a chance to practice those in a way that you hadn't before in Canada or India. Will you tell me a bit more about some of the skills you've acquired acquired on this placement that would have been difficult to gain in Canada or otherwise?
0: Perhaps I hadn't even uh, spent enough time in Canada yet or hadn't gotten that sort of an opportunity Mm -hmm. so I I would say that maybe those skills that I I could have gotten in Canada as well but I hadn't really gotten the opportunity to yet and I did get the opportunity to gain them here but yes I mean um, there's a lot of uh, campaign design that the communication teams does, and you learn a lot from that. Uh, Even if you don't design it yourself, but they share a lot of campaign designs. For instance, um, the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, the UNCRC was celebrating 30 years in 2019 since it came about in 1989. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of campaigning from the perspective of the fact that it's been 30 years to the convention and how much have we achieved Right. Uh, how much have we done for child rights? Mm-hmm. And for instance, uh, Vietnam actually signed the convention in 1990. So this year marks the 30th anniversary of Vietnam's signing of the convention. So oh, wow. a lot of advocacy is being done from that perspective that this is a milestone for Vietnam. And it needs to um, it's really they're really documenting what they have done. And then again, um Taking cue from that, this year is the 75th anniversary of the United Nations. Uh, in October, so it's the UN 75. Mm-hmm. Those sort of campaigns are being so they're just really capitalizing on important milestones. Right, and that's something that 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 creates an impact. If I see something being campaigned or uh, or in advocacy campaign from that perspective, it's powerful. Another one, for for instance, would be that uh, it's the year 2020 to 2030 is the decade of action for the Sustainable Development Goals. Mm. So a lot of um, uh, advocacy based on on these important milestones, and um, how uh, ideas and how certain uh, uh, policies and can be pushed for uh, on, by capitalizing on on these uh, ideals.
1: Right. Well, it sounds like... I hope a, I answered the
0: question there.
1: For sure, for sure. And it sounds like aside from advocacy, you've actually really had some practice um, with communications as well. So to be able to articulate what you're doing and why it's important and how it uh, furthers, you know, higher ideals and objectives. So that sounds very interesting as well. Yes, so I don't want to keep you up because it is well past your bedtime. It's well over midnight there um, in Hanoi. But my last question for you is, what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone looking to gain international experience?
0: There's there's, there's lots. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when you say advice, um, I would say that uh, just keep an open mind. Uh, that's the one thing I've realized. And even though uh, when I was traveling from India to Canada and then here, I've—you always initially feel that oh, you know, um, I've already lived internationally and I, I know a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. But I feel that we actually don't. And uh, as it, as an adage goes, you know, you only know how much you don't know when you interact more and and you. Move places, and you go to different places, and you meet different people,
1: mm-hmm. and you
0: engage with different cultures. And we, there's one thing that we we should remember is that we actually don't know, and there's a lot more to know. So keeping an open mind wherever you're going, whether it's within the country or even if it's an international placement or an internship of any sort, um, the the interaction with different cultures, and different locations, and different people exposes you to so much more so just keeping an open mind and um, yes and you know just just uh, going with the flow Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah so I would say that
1: lovely so keeping an open mind and being open to learning which sounds like a lot of reading on your end so that's a a great note to end it on thank you for sharing all your experience with us
0: thank you so much thank you for having me
1: I don't know about all of you, but listening to Navdeep and Devon certainly helped me combat the winter doldrums. If you're interested in hearing more about the Young Lawyers International program, check out our four-part podcast, Exploring It, that we produced last year. And I'd love to hear what's inspiring you these days. Tweet to us at cba underscore news, or you can reach me at my handle at SS. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to receive notifications for new episodes. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. We also have a podcast in French called Je Riste If you're interested in the Young Lawyers International program, tweet to us or visit our website to find out more. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Every Lawyer. Thank you for listening.